Open your Bibles this evening to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 1. I've had this on my mind for some time now. In fact, uh, the other day, Bev and I sat down for a, for a Bible study, just her and I, and uh, and I turned to this chapter, and of course, uh, it's like... Many times we might be going down the road and I'll be thinking about what I'm going to preach Sunday and the natural tendency is to want to share that. And in fact, the message I preached this morning, uh, a day or two ago, I, in fact, I guess it was yesterday, I said, you know, I'm going to preach uh, tomorrow on Ephesians or, or on, uh, on uh, the, the Lord's Prayer and the Word. And she said, no, 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 don't tell me. That just, I don't want to hear it twice. So. But we sat down together and, and we studied these first three verses. And, uh, and I've, I've, I've got a feeling that this is going to develop into a, uh, into a series on Sunday evening going through Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly Places in Christ. Many years ago, I read a book written in 1939 by Ruth Paxton. And the book was entitled, The Wealth, the Walk, and the Warfare of the Christian. And uh, somewhere in my big stack of books that I've got boxed up and ruining out in the garage and stored everywhere... The book begins with these words. There is one word that has been on the lips of mankind these past few years. The whole world has talked about depression. I even heard of parents who gave their baby girl depression as her middle name. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awful? But you've got to understand what those folks were going through. 1929. Wow. What a mess. And I know very well how people were impacted uh, by that. And I can remember my mother doing what I thought was really silly things. And uh, I, I didn't understand what they had really been through. Whenever we got through eating, if anything was left on the plate, it either went into the icebox and you were going to finish it tomorrow, or Mom ate it, one of the two, but nothing went to waste. I mean, we had taters one day one way and taters the next day another way, and when you couldn't figure out what else to do with them, she made my favorite, the little potato cakes, and just, you know, Fry them like a pancake, but I'm really getting off the subject. But what I'm saying is, 
sometimes difficulties can get people so depressed that evidently this one couple named their their little girl depression. Just picture her going to school. What, what is your name? <laughs> I'm depressed. No, 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 no. What's your name? That's it. Depressed. Depression. Well, that's the way a lot of folks feel, by the way. We're going through some tough times here in America, and it's crucial that we keep things in proper perspective. By that, I mean that some people are blessed and they don't even realize it. They murmur and they complain simply because they don't understand how good they've got it. And misconceptions can bring a lot of misery. You see, perception can be everything. And as a Christian, the best thing that we can do to defeat depression is to consider who we are and what we have by virtue of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is tonight, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? We know uh, from experience and observation that certain animals imprint with other animals. We've all no doubt heard the story about the duck that was raised, you know, by itself as a little duckling with a dog, and it imprinted on that dog, and that duck went, spent the rest of its life trying to act like a dog. Well, there, there's a lot of Christian people that just don't know how they ought to act because they have imprinted, as it were, on the world, and their perspective is all fouled up. How do you see yourself? Well, if we see ourselves right, we have to see ourselves as God sees us. That's the only perspective that really counts. Nothing will help us to do that any better than a study of the book of Ephesians, because it reveals our riches in Christ. We are blessed with the best, by the best, our blessed Redeemer. That's what this book is all about. Blessed with the best, by the best, our blessed Redeemer. A lot of folks believe in luck. Well, I'm not one of them. I, there's no such thing. The Bible never speaks about luck. We're not lucky. We are blessed. And that fact is made clear here in the book of Ephesians. And this little letter, I believe, will literally transform our lives. And by the way... That is exactly what it's intended to do. That's the purpose in this letter, to transform us. It is a blessed book about the believer's blessings. It's divided into two parts. You've heard me say this many times before. The first three chapters have to do with doctrine. The last three has to do with duty. In other words, in the first three chapters, he speaks about our beliefs. And in the last three chapters, he speaks about our behavior. In the first three chapters, he speaks about our blessings in Christ. The last three speaks about our behavior in Christ. In the first section, he explains the riches of God's grace. In the second section, he exhorts the recipients of God's grace. 
In the first section, there are three divisions. Number one, he speaks about redemption in chapter one. He speaks about reconciliation in chapter two. He speaks about revelation in chapter three. We come to chapter four, and in this second section, he speaks about our walk, about our worship, and about our warfare. It's not my intention to teach through this book as though to try to look at every word and spend a lot of time on every verse. That's not my intent, but I want us to, you know, become familiar with it here at the very beginning so we can understand what it's all about. And the very first word really tells us a lot of information. The word Paul. It tells us who wrote this letter. And that one word opens up the door to a lot of thought because Paul, to me, is one of the most interesting and one of the most important men who ever lived. And everybody ought to be familiar with the story of the Apostle Paul. Here was a man who was raised by a wealthy, religious, and influential family. In in, in fact, his father evidently was rich enough to purchase Roman citizenship And that was no small thing, by the way. Paul was able to attend the very best school in Jerusalem. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a famous doctor of the law. And so here is a young man with all of the advantages, or the so-called advantages in life. Everything that anybody could really want. But the most important thing in his life was missing. And by that I mean he did not have a personal relationship with God. He was religious, but not redeemed. But all of that changed that day on the road to Damascus. And you know the story. Here he is on the road to Damascus. It's noonday. And all of a sudden, a light brighter than the sun smites him and drives him to his knees. And he is blinded. And there on that that road uh, where he describes it in Acts chapter number 9, Saul of Tarsus, known as Paul later, met Jesus Christ and he was saved and baptized immediately. There's none of this stuff of putting it off and people say, you know, I'm thinking about getting baptized. You need to quit thinking about it and do it. Somebody says, well, I've been praying about being baptized. You need to quit praying about it and do it. You don't have to pray about something that God's already told you to do. So Paul was saved, he was baptized, and immediately he went to work for the Lord. In Acts chapter number 9 and verse 20 it says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. You better believe that would get you in a heap of trouble. He went right into the lion's den, so to speak. Right into the synagogues, the meeting places of those Jews in that day. The same ones that were responsible for crucifying Christ. And Paul goes in there preaching that Christ is the Son of God. And as a result of his zealous service for the Lord, he was hated, he was persecuted. And yet, in spite of all of that, all of those difficulties, he remained faithful to the very end. About 20 years had gone by whenever we read this letter. 
20 years, Paul is in prison at Rome. He's, I would guess, between 55 and 60 years old, about the time that a lot of folks are talking about, you know, retirement, but not Paul. He's different. He's dedicated. He's determined. And he continued to make plans to serve God to the very end. Folks, that's the attitude that we need today. That regardless of what difficulties that we encounter, regardless of who turns against us, regardless of what happens, we're going to keep serving God as long as we have breath. That's the right attitude. That's the attitude Paul had. Now, Paul is the author of the letter, and now he begins to write, and I want you to look at this letter in these first three verses, and the subject matter is simply this, blessed. Notice the saints who are blessed in verse number 1. And he tells us three things about these people to whom he's writing. First of all, they are called saints. Now, that's contrary to what some people believe. They're called saints. You don't have to be a martyr. You don't have to perform miracles to be a saint. You don't have to be dead for a hundred years before somebody declares you a saint. If you are a child of God, you are one of the saints because every Christian becomes a saint the very moment they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. The word saint simply refers to our standing rather than our state. You need to remember that. Our standing rather than our state. Paul is writing not to a bunch of super saints, but he's writing to plain, ordinary, everyday, common Christian people. Not a special class. All believers are saints. The word simply means set apart for God. In other words, we are separated unto God, and we need to think about ourselves as being reserved for God. Do you think about your life in terms like that? My life, my body, everything about me is reserved for God. I'm not going to give myself over to the world. I am not going to follow my dreams. I'm not going to set my agenda. My life is reserved for God and and God alone. So they're called saints, but notice, they're called saints, but they're citizens of Ephesus. Now, that seems like a minor matter to you and I all of these many years past, but it's really a very important thing. When you consider what Ephesus was like, then you begin to understand the significance of this Ephesus was the most important city in Asia Minor. It was called the Queen of the Coastal Cities. It had great uh, value by way of commerce. But not only that, it was a very religious city. The, The great temple of Diana was there. And over in the book of Acts, we read about those that tried out continually, great is Diana, and going down the street, and you could hear those people chanting those words over and over and over again. 
And it's no wonder that Paul said that I fought with the beast at Ephesus. They literally tried to destroy him. This is where these people live. And, And you thought humble was bad, right? They're called saints, they're citizens of Ephesus, but notice they're classified as faithful. I love this. Called saints, citizens of Ephesus, and classified as faithful. Have you ever talked to somebody that said, you know, things are so bad at work, I just can't live for the Lord there. It's just too bad. Those people talk filthy, they're dishonest and... You know, the atmosphere is so horrible. You know, I've got, I've just either got to quit my job or give up on this idea of serving God. What a pitiful excuse that is. You see, if nothing else, this story shows us that a person can remain faithful to God regardless of what the circumstances are. They're citizens of Ephesus. They're going to be persecuted. And yet, in spite of all of that, they could live victorious in the most vile of places. And folks, listen, we too can serve God regardless of our surroundings. I don't think anything better could be said of a person other than he is faithful. You see, God doesn't require us to be famous. God doesn't even require us to be fruitful in the sense that we really make a name for ourselves and really do great things that bring notoriety and fame. The thing God requires from all of us is that we be faithful. And regardless of how bad things get, we can all be faithful. You see, faithfulness demands different things from different people. There's some folks not here tonight because they're they're sick, they're physically afflicted. They just literally just can't can't be here. That doesn't make them any less of a Christian than you are because they can't be here. On the other hand, there are those that are as healthy as a horse and they could be here, but they don't want to be here. And the problem is they're just not Faithful. Thank God for faithful people. Every church depends on faithful people. The faithful few that keep the lights burning and the doors open. The faithful few that keep the ministry of a church going year after year. And I look out here tonight and see the faithful, the folks that you can depend upon day in and day out. Thank God for those that are faithful. And we all should be faithful. The Bible says it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. It's God's requirement. Now, notice not only the saints who are blessed, but notice the source of our blessings. He says they are, notice, here's the phrase, in Christ. You see, that explains why we are saints. And that phrase is found 164 times in Paul's writings. 
And if you could just distill all of the things that Paul wrote down to one simple phrase, this would be it. In Christ. Take out all of the verbiage and distill it all down to just one blunt statement. It would be in Christ. And this speaks about our position. It implies that God has accepted us because of Him. And we see that down in verse number 6. Notice to the phrase of His glory, of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. And we are in Christ. It's only in Christ that these blessings are available to us. But, do you realize there are a lot of Christians that are living far beneath their privileges? I think God wants more for us than what we're willing to take from Him. And the reason people live beneath their privileges is because for the most part, they don't understand what all they have by virtue of a relationship with Jesus Christ. They seem to be oblivious to it. Let's suppose for a moment that you had a rich uncle that died and left you $10 million. Wow. But you haven't opened your mail for 30 days. You've gone a month without opening your mail. You don't know anything about this rich uncle that has died. And finally, one day, you discover that you're rich. Now, you were already a millionaire. You already had, as it were, $10 million, but you couldn't enjoy it until you discovered it. Does that make sense? Are you with me? That $10 million sitting there waiting for you, notification has been given, but you haven't opened your mail. And I'm telling you, folks, you need to open your mail and see what you have by virtue of being in Christ. It's wonderful. It's glorious to discover how rich you are as a result of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, I'll guarantee you this, you'll be happier than you've ever been before. I'll tell you what, if suddenly we received the news that we'd received $10 million, some of us that have been, you know, we're crippling around with arthritis and what have you, we'd be turning cartwheels. We'd do things we didn't even know we could do. It's amazing what people will do in response to $10 million. And I'm telling you what, $10 million is nothing compared to what we have in Christ. Now, notice the spirituality of these blessings. Here's the phrase, with all spiritual blessings. In other words, He's blessed us in Christ, but what with? Notice, with all spiritual blessings. That tells us immediately that these blessings, our blessings, are better than money or anything. These are spiritual blessings. In other words, these are blessings of the supernatural world. You say, well, what do you mean by that? I mean they come to us by the Spirit of God, and they come for us to meet 
the need of our most inner person. You see, man is made up of a body and of a soul and of a spirit. The body is that part of you that is able to relate to the world around you. The soul is that part of you that is the, we speak of it as being the seat of self-consciousness. The mind, the will, and the emotion are those activities of the soul. But when we talk about the spirit, the spirit is that seat of God consciousness. This is the thing that sets man apart from all of the other creatures on this earth. We have a spirit. We are a spirit, a living spirit. And when we talk about these spiritual blessings, they're coming from a spiritual source to meet a spiritual need. And you say, well, what are they? Well, if you just continue to read on down through verse number 14, you'll see what these these blessings are. He talks about us being accepted in Christ. He talks about redemption. He talks about the sealing of the Holy Spirit and the witness of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so he, he, he begins to enumerate some of those blessings. This is the spirituality of our blessings, and it's better than silver and gold. But notice also the sufficiency of these blessings. It says, he notice, and very important that you get this next word that I mentioned, have. Have blessed us with all. You see, Paul's not talking about the future. This is in the past tense. He have. A lot of times we get to thinking about what we're going to have. And let me tell you, it's going to be wonderful when we think about what we're going to have in heaven, but it's wonderful thinking about what we already have even at this present time. You say, well, what do we have? Notice the little word all. He hath blessed us with all. What in the world does that mean? Let me tell you. The best way I know how to describe that is like this. When he says that he hath, he's already blessed us with these spiritual blessings, with all, that means simply this, nothing is lacking. Nothing is lacking. Now, I understand when we get to heaven, we'll walk on streets of gold, we'll see the gates of pearl, we'll be reunited with the saints of God, and there'll be a lot of blessings there. But I want you to understand that for the moment, as a child of God, we're not missing out on anything right now. We're not lacking anything right now. We already have everything in Christ. Let me share a verse with you, Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. If this doesn't float your boat, I don't know what would. Romans 8 and verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us what? What's the word? All things. You've got to be kidding me. All things? Freely? God, because of Christ, has freely given us all things. You see, no one is earning their way with God. 
Even as a Christian, you cannot be good enough to, to deserve all of the blessings that God has for you. God doesn't bless you on the basis of your goodness. It's always the result of His grace. And we simply need to not work harder to get these blessings. We need to wake up to the fact that we already have these blessings. He hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Now, now notice the sphere of these blessings. He says, in heavenly places. That literally means in the heavenlies. But what does that mean? He's blessed us with all these spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. What's that all about? It means this. It means they originate in heaven. Now think about it. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Now, we're not there yet, but our citizenship is in heaven. You see, there are certain people that have dual citizenship by virtue of being born in a certain place. In other words, they might live in Europe, but as an American citizen, they enjoy all of the privileges, all of the rights, and all of the blessings of being an American. And we treasure that, would we not? To be an American. Oh, I can remember many years ago, the only time I was ever in Paris, and I just wanted to spend one day. I hate Paris. I, nothing in Paris that I like at all. I just yuck. So people told me, I want to go to Paris and see the sights. Man, I'd rather drive over into the hill country and nothing in Paris that I, that I like. I didn't lose anything in Paris for sure. <laughs> but to be an American living anywhere in Europe, and, and to be there with people that are rude and crude and dishonest. But you're there as an American citizen. You're not on the home soil, but you have a right, let's say, to cast your vote. You have all of the blessings of being an American citizen, except you're not home. And folks, that's the way it is with the child of God. We're just not home yet. We're not there yet, but our citizenship is in heaven. And so when he talks about the sphere of these blessings, notice he says they are in heavenly places. Heavenly places. In other words, that's the source of all that we have. Aren't you glad you don't have to depend on the government? <laughs> Listen, that ought to be the desire of your heart. The more you take from the government, the more dependent you become upon the government, and the more dependent you become, the more they're going to control you. And we ought to have a sense of, of pride, and I use that in a good way because I know pride is a bad thing, but we ought to have enough pride, as it were, to be willing to work, as it were, to support ourselves and to take care of ourselves we ought to be appreciative of the blessings that we have as a result of being a citizen of the United States of America. The benefits. And every day we reap the benefits of having our citizenship 
in America. And as a child of God, we ought to be so thankful that our citizenship is in heaven. Now, just one more thing that I want you to consider tonight, and that's the security of our blessings. You say, well, where do you find that? Notice those two words again, in Christ. Do you realize some very rich people have lost everything they had? Speaking earlier about the Great Depression and back in whenever the stock market crashed in 1929, listen, there were, there were people that had been worth millions and millions of dollars that literally jumped out of, the, out of their office buildings to their death. People that just could not cope with having lost everything. And the Bible speaks about riches, and it says they take wings and they fly away. There is no certainty, no security in this world. Our security is all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as Christians we never lose what we have in Christ. Never You can take the clothes off of our back and the shoes off of our feet. You can burn our houses. You can take away all of our earthly possessions. But what we have in Christ, the treasure that we have in Him, is just as sure as the throne of God is secure. Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but My Word shall not pass away. And I'm glad when I go home and put my head on the pillow tonight, that I can know who I am and what I have in Jesus Christ, and regardless of how bad things get here, that I can depend upon God to supply my needs. That's what Paul said to those in Philippi, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory. We are blessed with the best by the best, our blessed Redeemer. You know the Lord is your Savior. You are blessed. Don't you dare lose sight of who you are and what you have in Christ. Don't lose sight of that. When things get bad, open your mail and read what you have in Christ, and you'll come away encouraged. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank You for making known the exceeding riches of Your grace, and to know, Heavenly Father, that our security is in Christ, and that nothing on this earth and not all of the powers of the darkness of hell could ever rend from our hand the things that You've given to us. How thankful we are that we are considered to be joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to know that we're lacking absolutely nothing, that in Him we have everything that we need. And dear Lord, in those instances where we feel like we need more than what we have, help us to understand that what we want and what we need are not necessarily one and the same. 
So may we trust Your wisdom to give us what we need for the moment and to live a life of contentment and gratefulness for all that You've given. Heavenly Father, someone here tonight perhaps came to this service discouraged. Someone troubled. It might have to do with their vocation. It might have to do with their domestic situation or, or their health or whatever it is. And I pray tonight you'll help them to go away greatly encouraged because of who they are and what they have in Jesus. For we pray in His name as we stand together, as we sing together.